Welcome to the Zell Informer Podcast. I am your host, Alfred Tabax, joined today by my co-host, Nathaniel Rumpeljance. Hey, hey, hey. We've got a lot to talk about today, as Nintendo Everything has posted three separate interviews um, with Aonuma from three different websites. They all contain different information um, about Breath of the Wild <laughs> and some other things that go on in Nintendo. And so I wanted to hit those. They posted the summaries. They said that uh, Nintendo Everything said that they will be posting the full translation of each one of these uh, interviews at a later time. But they wanted to summarize all the information on it so that you could uh, read what they said before Glad- the, the full <laughs> thing came out. Glad to see you keep up at ZeldaInformer.com. We've actually been posting that stuff all day. We, we, do have, we do have some of the stuff, but not all of it. So well, it's I'm- because people like us have not been all. Well, people like me. I had another job to go to, but uh, all of the stuff is actually in the queue and broken down. Well, I've got a, I had a job interview today, so that's that's enough. That's good. That's good. Yeah, my best friend got, just got hired today. First job out of college. So, so plus this is also a little bit easier to just read down because I'm going to read down sure. each of these interview, uh, each of the summaries, and then we'll talk about them. Um, so the first one is from the French site Le Monde. I probably mispronounced that, but they're French. Um, so they put up the interview with E.J. Aonoma about Breath of the Wild. And so here's some of the things that they talked about. And then we'll just talk about this one and then move on to the next one. So it says the team for Breath of the Wild consisted over 300 staffers, uh, about 300 staffers, four years of development. Um, they listened to Japan, Japanese fans in particular for feedback due to it being its native language, but looks to consider feedback worldwide. Aonoma points out that American players aren't big on upgrading abilities to progress, such as in games like Monster Hunter. Uh, Nintendo was criticized for the lack of freedom in the past, with different areas being connected by small paths. The player now has freedom similar to the original Zelda. Aonuma believes Breath of the Wild will be a key entry in the series, obviously. Experience points and leveling up was never considered. Rather, Nintendo decided to implement the weapon system. To gain high-level equipment, players need to be smart about how they approach the game. Link's speed is adapted to the pace of the game, and there are different things that are hidden in the world, and you could run at full speed, but you may miss a lot by doing so. With Skyrim, Aonuma likes how you enter a new town and it feels different from the ones you listen or you you've entered previously. So from White Run to Morthal to, to different towns, um, have different looks, different characters, different quests in them. Um, he wanted to create something like this, but in a different way. This is why you can climb anywhere. On Shrines, he said having them all be long and complex means that players wouldn't complete the game. So Nintendo made Shrines to be rewards rather than actual trials. Shrines are very different from those of previous Zelda games, though some are much larger and have a boss at the end similar to traditional dungeons. Nintendo has also done away with the dungeons that have a particular theme. For example, even if you come across a shrine located in a forest, it won't necessarily carry that theme of the forest through the shrine. Architecture was not based on specific life locations, but rather inspired by different pieces of architecture from around the world. However, for Zelda Ocarina of Time, this was an exception in creating the Temple of Time. Aonuma also wanted to have more islands in Wind Waker, but hardware limitations prevented that. Criticism from the game didn't actually inspire Breath of the Wild, even including the art style. Art style was chosen so that objects to be more easily seen in the world, and we've covered some of this and given, you, given a more detailed um, <clears throat> response on this one with the actual excerpt from the interview. Um, artists have also been brought up on Japanese animation, and Aonuma stopped leaving messages to his son in game since his son told him that he had grown up and he didn't need them anymore. Um, finally, Aonuma also wrote all of the lines for the old man that you find at the start of the game. Um, so a lot of that was just a bunch of random... Tri- some of it was just random trivia, but some of it had important um, background into what went into making the game and how they made some of the decisions that they went into 
Um, so I just talked a lot. Nate, you, you give your opinions on some of that. First to clarify something, and this is, we haven't corrected it on our set yet either. Um, and that's because these breakdowns are based upon the same thing. Like I mentioned before, you know, we posted a bunch of stuff to the site. Well, we posted the Google Translate versions um, because I don't know if we have anyone on staff that natively speaks French, but we weren't going to wait to get this news out. Um, and it appears, after you went through that list, that Nintendo Everything based their breakdown on the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, because in that breakdown, you mentioned, I guess might be the most interesting point, uh, the stuff about dungeons. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you kind of read the breakdown, you kind of read the Google Translate version, it kind of says, it kind of suggests that there isn't like themed big dungeons. Uh, well, I shouldn't say big dungeons, but there isn't themed dungeons. Yeah. And that, uh, the dungeons are kind of sort of the shrines. Mm-hmm. Um, that's actually not the case. And well, it's, it's weird because like he actually said <clears throat> in an English interview, like last week that there are dungeons that are not shrines. Well, it says um, in the in the interview that they posted, it says the shrines are different than, um, like previous Zelda dungeons, but they're also the shrines themselves aren't the ones that are that are themed, um, like specifically like forest and and fire and stuff. The dungeons, however, probably will be. We haven't gotten any indication. Yeah, opposing. Yeah, them. but but if you read what everything says and what we say on yeah. our site, it, it it reads it reads as the shrines are dungeons and they're not themed. Yeah. Um. So the shrines, I never expected them to be themed anyways. They are a unifying theme across all the shrines. Um, at least it's been that way in every single shrine we've seen, and I see no reason that they're not going to continue that unified theme of all the shrines. Which, you know, knowing what we know about how many shrines there are, it, you know, will that get boring? I have no idea. I'm not bored of it yet, <clears throat> but I also haven't been through all of them. <laughs> so maybe by the end, um, you know... Uh, Maybe I'll think they they could have did something more original. I have no idea. I kind of likened it to, um, like, even in Skyrim, like, when you go to caves, like, all Mm -hmm. the caves are the same. Um, They're just repeated over and over again, just in different locations. So it's kind of what I think with the shrines, except the shrines are not all the same. They all do something different. Some are very, very, very short. (laughs) One of the first shrines we saw off the plateau... I couldn't believe it was even a shrine. Um, you just hopped on your paraglider one time and you're done. Um, that tutorial. Uh, I don't know how it's a tutorial because, like, to get to that trial, you already had had to have used your paraglider. So it's just oh. a really weird, <laughs> really weird thing. And like, you know, I I I hope that most of the shrines aren't like that. I have a feeling because of how many there are, that is what most of them are going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, However, a, I'd say a good portion, maybe not most of them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but he kind of, uh, uh, so, so to kind of clarify what, what he was saying to this, because I had this thread open on NeoGAF because they originally also reported exactly what Google Translate says, um, which is we started this big drama because oh drama, there's no dungeons. It's <laughs> the shrines and they're not themed. So, like, you saw what those shrines looked like in the beginning. That's what your dungeons are going to look like, which could kill some of the variety. Um, even though, you know... So, to, to clarify, all he's talking about specifically here is just about shrines. Um, he is not talking about dungeons at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's saying he's comparing shrines to dungeons because in previous Zelda games, that's the only comparison that exists. Because what the shrines are doing was previously only really done in dungeons. Yeah. Um, 
So that's kind of trying to clarify. So like the shrines are, it, it doesn't matter if they're in a forest or in a desert. It doesn't matter. They all have that unified theme. Um, you know, so it's not like before where like you go to a, a dungeon specifically and that dungeon is the forest dungeon. Uh, that might still be the case if there is a separate dungeon that's not a shrine, but that is not how the, the shrine itself works. And obviously there's a lot of speculation that, that the dungeons themselves are just the four giant robots in the corners, but um, we don't know that for sure to, to really say that. Um, and it says uh, that basically the shrines themselves were kind of built to use the physics engine. Mm-hmm. Everything was kind of like all the puzzles in our, they try to make more physics-based um and yeah so just just to clarify none of this has to do anything to do with actual dungeons and it's, it's there's still going to be actual dungeons <clears throat> in the game that are not shrines that are probably most definitely themed around whatever they're themed around uh, so now that that drama's over <laughs> <laughs> because seriously that's all people have been talking about like all day with me I'm like what do you mean there's no out of the loop, like, then. like i don't speak french i don't know um <laughs> like i thought just last week he said there are dungeons and others say uh, Confusing stuff. There's a lot in this game. I think even Ichi Aonomo gets confused at times because there's just a lot going on. Um, and he even, it's funny because uh, if you watch that Treehouse stream from a couple weeks ago, he said live on air that there's little things in this game that he doesn't even know about. <laughs> so he doesn't even know everything. Um, so that's just how big this game is. I So honestly, that first interview. Um, you know, my my biggest takeaway is I'm really glad that there are going to be shrines of bosses at the end. Yeah, um, that's cool. That makes me feel a lot better about say say that the original rumor back in the day is true, and there's only four really big dungeons, uh, like more traditional style dungeons. I am a lot more okay with that when you have shrines that are like mini dungeons that have bosses at the end. Um, and I'm assuming the ones that have bosses at the end have the better the better awards. You know whether they're yeah. another rune ability or whether it's uh, like a really strong item that you can use for a little while for breaks. Um, you know, maybe like just, armor or something. Yeah, I mean anything. You know, it, it's it, it feels like if there's going to be a boss at the end, it has to be a pretty important reason compared to the shrines we've seen so far. Yeah. Um, you know, and 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 it in a later I think he says this in, in another interview we haven't got to yet, or maybe. He said it last week. I don't know. There's so much Breath of the Wild stuff swimming around in my head. I, I'm mixing things up. But uh, the shrines are basically included to give the player um, a sense of progression. Um, basically, you are being rewarded with the shrines through your exploration. Uh, so, like, every area will have, you know, X amount of shrines or whatever it is. And you're only going to find them by exploring. Um, they didn't want you to necessarily explore and end up not finding anything. Mm-hmm. So shrines were kind of like an answer to that. Um, and I think they were an answer to it. I, I know for sure he says this in another interview where he kind of goes off to, uh, they, they were tracking where players were uh, like play testing and they were tracking where players go and they're play testing. Like, okay, everyone's going off in different directions, but at some point in the game, they all started going the same direction. Mm-hmm. Um, and why is that? What's going on? Why are there parts of this world no one's exploring? Um, so they had to like redo the to- the topography to kind of g- get it that way. Maybe reduce some story elements to make people you know not necessarily feel like at this X point in the game everyone go this way. Um, they don't want that. They want everyone's experience to be different, um, and they want people to freely explore and have a reason to. And I think shrines are are, are 
kind of their big reason and and he kind of calls shrines rewards um and that's what they are they are your reward for exploring uh and from what we've seen in some of the trailers like there's a shrine that came out of the ground so like some of the shrines probably even have to be activated you mm-hmm. won't even know they're there maybe by uh, clearing a camp or something of the cobbler yeah it could be clearing a cap you know maybe there's a, a like a, a switch um that you hit somewhere uh, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I mean, th- that first interview, there's a lot of stuff. Uh, I-, I just don't think there's a lot of super important things. Um, it's more just background into how they made the game and what inspired some of the decisions yeah. that they made. Um, you know, it, it, a lot of it's really interesting, but it doesn't really present a- anything new besides the, the fact that shrines are going to be... Um, some of the shrines are going to be really, really badass, is what it sounds like. Mm-hmm. Um Everything else is just kind of cool, like 300 staff, four years. I mean, yeah, I figured it had, you know, 300. It was supposed to be, like, the biggest staff they've ever assembled, so. Um, the four years of development is always interesting because it will have been almost five and a half years. Yeah. Since Skyward Sword, and supposedly he claims that he started, like, the think pot for the game, like, right after that game finished, even before it released. So... You know, and I kind of put I put this as a comment on the site. I think what that means is that there was only only four years where they took that team of three hundred and actually physically made a game, and there was probably like six months in there where it was just Eiji Nomu and the director sitting there trying to conceptualize what this game is, and then the rest of the time is polish and localization. Um, so I think that's what that extra year and a half in there is that. And obviously they they moved it to the Switch, which probably added like another five months. I'm I'm also interested uh, by like some of the earlier points when they talk about how they got some of the ideas for the game. Um, talking sure. about how uh, he said that North American players aren't big on upgrading abilities to progress, uh, similar to Monster Hunter. Um, and I was trying to think about that, and that is more of a a JRPG thing. Because um, is I it? Think, well, it, here's the uh, thing. I don't know if he's I don't know if he's talking specifically about like leveling up. Um, well, the, cause, the tr- yeah, because like what he said in that feedback was, uh, um, like like that remark comes from you know how they accept feedback, and he notes in there this wasn't expanded upon Nintendo everything, but if you actually read, I know again the Google Translate version, um, he kind of explains that what he what he receives for feedback is what Nintendo America tells him reviewers in in North America are saying about the game. Yeah. Um. And the thing is, though, like basing, I, yeah. basing that off of Monster, Monster Hunter. Hunter is really weird because the lack of appeal of Monster Hunter, uh, I don't think has anything to do with the progression system. No, at all. Like that progression system is prominent in Western RPGs. Well, you, you so, see, you see leveling up and stuff like that, and skill trees and leveling up skill Skyrim. trees, uh, crafting, crafting. Yeah, like you know, having to you know hunt things down and collect, collect materials. Like that's. Like the lack of appeal of Monster Hunter is basically the gameplay, not mm-hmm. not uh, the elements that are built around that gameplay. It's the gameplay itself. It's uh, to at least Western audiences. In my experience, I love Monster Hunter, but it is um, a clunkier kind of experience with your battling. Uh, and, until very recently, there was no way to target anything, uh, and pretty much every game since Ocarina of Time has a targeting system. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was no way to do that Monster Hunter, and that really turned off Western gamers. Um, 
and just kind of the way they present the game. Like, there's always a home base, and then you just kind of go out and hunt, and then you come back to your home base. Um, and that's kind of how Monster Hunter has always been, and that isn't the kind of progression people want to see in the yeah. West. Because uh, it doesn't feel like you're actually progressing. Yeah, you're getting better armor, but it, th- there is no feel of that progression. Um, that's why I, I, that's a really weird comment. Well, I think that it's it's also weird that that would be his his uh, litmus test, specifically Monster Hunter, which is a Japanese game for like that type of leveling up. Um, yeah, I don't know why it wouldn't be like Xenoblade or something. Yeah, well, I mean, even then, further past that, you'd think that he'd be thinking, okay, well, obviously there's something about the leveling up in, say, Borderlands or Skyrim or Fallout that people like with the upgrading skill trees and um, that kind of a thing. Uh, yeah, but it sounds like all his feedback comes from Nintendo America. And yeah. They're not, they're not looking at reviews of games they don't make. Yeah, that, that's what I was thinking, is, is that they're specifically targeting games that they've put out and then published on their consoles. Um, and again, it, that's that's... It's neither here nor there at this point. Like that's we know that that's not a feature yeah. in Breath of the Wild. Well, um, look at what he said about Skyrim. Yeah, like um, because you know he was quoted back in 2013 that nothing in Breath of the Wild has been inspired by Skyrim. Well, it turns out that that's not entirely true. <laughs> uh, the core mechanics of the game aren't necessarily inspired by Skyrim. Like the reason there's cooking, as we'll find out here in a later interview, has nothing to do with Skyrim having cooking. Yeah. Um, like that wasn't actually inspired. Like, like that was one thing I see a lot of people argue like, Oh, cooking, cooking like that. That's what all these other games have. Like, no, none of that has anything to do. Like the item durability and the cooking wasn't based on other games. And you'll see this in a later interview, how, how he explains, uh, why they went that direction and how it was just ideas that their staff came up with, uh, for a certain direction. they wanted to go. But like his, his comments on Skyrim, um, it, it, it's it's really interesting because this shows how little I think Nintendo pays attention to anything outside of their ecosystem. Well, the, it's interesting because in, in the second interview that I'm I'm about to get to, they talk about the other games. Like it specifically says that a- or Aonuma talked about how they studied other games, um, like West Western games, and took inspiration from that. Um, so it's interesting that, like you said earlier, that he said that well, it's not inspired by any of these games, but obviously it is. Um, yeah. Nintendo had to um, understand that this like, is what... Here's what like, like, look at this comment, specifically on, mm-hmm. on Skyrim. It says, what really got me more into Skyrim is when you walk and enter a new city, there's a real shock. Ah, there's a city here. And she's so different from all the others. Mm-hmm. This is the first time I felt this in a video game. Like, that's been in video games for, like, decades. Yeah. So, like, if this is the first <laughs> time he's experienced that sense of when you go somewhere, it's completely new. Uh, I, I guess I don't get it. Like, well, like I think how that, little do they not look at what the rest of the world is? Even? I think like, even in Japan, Final Fantasy has that. Well, more than that, like think about and think about Nintendo. They, they, they like to stay within their own infrastructure for the games that they make and, sure. and, and, and their view on them, um, and their view on games. And so I imagine that like maybe Reggie, who I don't think he has that much to do with the making of games. Um, but he's talked about other games that he likes, uh, and I, I assume that they play them, but I, I think that for the longest time, Nintendo's wanted to differentiate themselves from that, um, area of gaming, and so they've stayed away from games like Skyrim and games like, um, The Witcher and games like all, like all those games that are, that are heavily Western influenced, specifically because they want to be different and they want to be Nintendo, um, and then they started to realize after Skyward Sword that that's that's not working anymore. Like they can't sure. 
get behind the curve um, and, and just stay well, it's back not, it's and not watch even it. that. Like, when he says that Skyrim remark, I kept thinking The Legend of Zelda, the very first game in the whole series, worked that way. With the different towns? Well, not the different towns. The but different like, areas. They did it with the different areas and the different, like, the dungeons and all I think it might... I think he means more along the lines of, like, the... Like, different... Like, the life of the town, if that makes sense. Um, like, you see in... Skyrim that you have like you walk into a town and every character has a name and every character has a story to them um, and it's, it's it's a living breathing town um, and I think that that may be what he's taking away from it is that it's not just a different infrastructure a different look but every character is different Nate Nate vanished on me Weird. Well, okay then. I think we're experiencing some technical difficulties because Nate is gone and I don't know where he is so there's that And I'm back. Where'd you go? Hold on. Okay. All my audio is all messed up now. <clears throat> uh, apparently I hit the power button on my microphone underneath the table. I don't know how that happened. Yeah, I'm still okay. recording. Okay. I just sat there and talked for like eight minutes with silence. Okay. I was wondering where you went. I was like, hello. All right. Um. Anyways. Yeah. I'll kind of recap what I was saying before since it never got recorded. Okay. <laughs> um. That I think, uh, as we find out in a later interview, that Miyamoto and E.J. Aonoma did not uh, agree on what the essence of Zelda is. Um, and apparently they've been debating this all the time. It's like the number one conversation they have when they make a new Zelda game. And um, if Breath of the Wild is the game that's most like the very first game in the series. And apparently this was like the first time like ever that Miyamoto and E.J. Aonoma have agreed simultaneously on what the essence of Zelda is in Breath of the Wild. Um, so it, that's why I think it's interesting that um, it kind of took a different game like Skyrim to make him understand 
uh, what Miyamoto was trying to do with Zelda in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's weird. That's why, like, because I wrote an editorial about how clearly look at all this stuff that Zelda's done before. How can this be inspired by Skyrim? Yeah. And here he is basically saying, well, yeah, I was inspired by Skyrim because I didn't understand what Zelda was before. <laughs> Um, and, and, and that's not a surprise because he's openly admitted he has never played and beaten like the first two games in the Zelda series. Mm-hmm. He's played them, but he can't beat them. They're too difficult for him. He doesn't get it. He's never understood them. Um, and maybe that's why his games have been so different from what Miyamoto was doing. Um, so, yeah, I guess he was inspired by Skyrim to go back to what Zelda used to actually be, and he finally understands why. Like, aha freedom of exploration with all the stuff they discovered that's amazing yeah why haven't we been doing that? <laughs> and uh it's it's interesting that they it's it, again it's weird that they use that example for monster hunter for that that uh earlier like this is the reason why we don't have this but they've been looking at other games and he's talked about skyrim and witcher 3 and stuff like that and said that alaska guardian yeah all, all these games he used for inspiration they have these leveling systems. Um, I'm not. I, I, I guarantee you, people are not upset about that, or not a lot of them are. Um, like I, you guys, we reposted my. Uh, what the next like Zelda? I, I wrote an editorial a while back about what the next Zelda game needs to be and why it should be an RPG, um, like a traditional JRPG with the leveling up system and stuff. But uh, nobody liked that. So obviously it's not there's not a big enough fan base for that for a Zelda game. It's obviously if Nintendo wanted to do that they'd have to do it with something else like Xenoblade. Um which it works well for. The the system that they have is is in put in good place. Um but on to the second interview then. So this one's from Jake's video. Butchered that as well probably. Um this one is about like the Wii U gamepad as well as working with the Switch. So here's here's a summary of it. Uh, he kept quiet on timeline placement, but still didn't tell us where in the timeline it falls. He says, For clues, though, remember the voice of the woman who says that the world has suffered many battles against Ganon, with, which could lend the, to the theory that this is pulling all the timelines together, or I don't know, I'm not going to get into that right now. <laughs> um, he said the team wanted to create something it never had before, and because of this, Nintendo decided to make a bigger Zelda game and then tried to find new ways to make the world interesting. They started, they decided to start working with the assets from Wind Waker as gr- from the ground up to reach the anime style they were aiming at. He said while he played, studied, and took inspirations from games like Skyrim, GTA, The Witcher 3, and Last Guardian, like you said. However, Aonuma stresses that the Zelda touch being a part of Zelda, all of the Zelda games is more important. And we've talked about how him and Aonuma, or him and Miyamoto finally agreed on what that was. He said his teams are more serious that, uh, than him, and when he brings such ideas, they would tell him that they need to do something more original or even better or more Zelda-ish. Um, <clears throat> from a technical standpoint, it didn't take too long to create the game. Uh, development choices such as making an open world is what took so long with ambitious plans. And obviously, this was not a question on anyone's mind. Um, since it was originally planned for the Wii U, the team thought it'd be funny if Link had a tablet similar to the gamepad. So it's supposed to be a gamepad. It was. Um, mod- they modified some elements of gameplay when the Switch arrived, i.e. could no longer use dual screens with the gamepad, um, and the tablet aspect of the game was reduced due to Switch. 
Um, Anuma said he's not talking about DLC. He says that if that were to happen, it would be after the game releases, so there's nothing to share now. Uh, he said working with the Switch went well and porting Zelda over went faster than expected. Uh, he and his dev teams are far from mastering the Switch's hardware. Um, but this, and again, the Sheikah Slate was supposed to symbolize the gamepad, but was abandoned when the Switch version came into the picture. The idea was that the tablet would talk to you. When playing on the TV, the gamepad would display information and the tablet would speak. Ultimately, though, they felt that the gamepad was out of place. Um, so he talks a lot about the gamepad there and how um, they had all these plans for it. And obviously, like, when this game was in development for the uh, Wii U primarily, and at the beginning, it was probably a vastly different game than what we got now. Um, in terms of some of the core gameplay mechanics like that, obviously when they revealed the Sheikah Slate, everybody thought, oh, that looks like a Wii U gamepad. It's because it is. That's um, what it was supposed to be. But as the Switch came along, they scrapped that, and along with probably many other ideas, uh, such as using it for a map, using it for hints, like they said, because they wanted, I guess, the Switch to be the definitive version. Um, after all, why would you buy a version of the game missing several core features on a newer console? Like They want Breath of the Wild to sell systems, so they're not going to include all these extra features on the Wii U that they're not going to have on the Switch. Um, to give it a one-up, that, that that wouldn't, that'd be bad marketing. Um, so some other things that I thought were interesting <clears throat> were that he would come in with all these ideas that weren't very Zelda-ish, and his team would have to humble him with them, um, and that they've been trying to. That the obviously the open air, open world part is the most uh, like it's the central focus of this game, so they wanted to make it as big and ambitious as possible. Um, and so that's what they've been focusing on the most. Um, I think that's pretty much the stuff that I took away from this. Um, like I said, we all figured, pretty much everyone figured that the Sheikah Slate was supposed to be the gamepad for the Wii U. But obviously well, he, that... He actually was said that a couple weeks ago. Yeah. That the well, Slate I mean, is a gamepad, mm -hmm. but then, you know, he said that and then he immediately said, but we also think it kind of looks like the Switch, so it still works. Yeah. But I mean, like, <laughs> when we first saw it, uh, we knew that that's what it was. Like right. there was well, no it was like, very clear. Yeah. Plus every single functionality we saw of it uh, at the Game Awards 2014, like I mm. uh, like the ability to because because in this game you can go on like your Sheikah Slate in game and like zoom in and mark places. Well, he did that back at the 2014 Game Awards and he did it through the gamepad. So, um, so clearly that used to be a gamepad functionality. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the Sheikah Slate functionality. So clearly, I think anything you can do with the Sheikah Slate in-game originally was all on the gamepad. Um, as it, literally, they were going to basically say their gamepad is the Sheikah Slate, yeah. is, is the idea. I, I just... I I know there's some people that are uh, interested in uh, all that gamepad functionality. Um, he said in, a, in an interview like a week ago, that he thinks that the game controls better now than it did when it was on the gamepad. Mm -hmm. uh, which, of course, marketing PR, he's never going to say the game's worse. <laughs> like, so mm -hmm. do you really believe that he actually thinks it's better? Or is he just like, you're not going to say something negative about a game that hasn't even come out yet? Uh, maybe he'll admit, you know, 10 years from now that, oh, he wishes they would have kept those features. But, um, like, I heard someone say that, oh, you know, they wish they could have seen the voice talking to the thing. I'm like, really? We had that on the Wiimote. It wasn't that great. Yeah. Um, it, it really wasn't, like, like that's not groundbreaking. That's not, like, oh, my gosh, gamepad. Like, they did it with Wiimotes. It really was kind of annoying. The speakers usually aren't that great. 
Mm. I mean, obviously the speakers on the Switch are going to be better, but the speakers on the Wii U gamepad itself aren't that great. Um, so it, it felt... I, to me, it felt like, uh, even though it's marketing PR speak, I kind of could understand why maybe the controls they ended up settling on and the functionality, at least to me, is better. Because um, my biggest negative, I guess, with the gamepad um, is that none of the uses of it in any games on Wii U, uh, outside of Zombie U, which is like the lone exception, <laughs> um, increased my immersion in the game. Um, it was always a distraction. Sometimes a convenient distraction, like, well, like inventory it, systems. Well, like, yeah, if it was a map or an inventory system, like in... Uh, like, it's co- it's a convenient distraction. Yeah. It's still a distraction. I gotta take my eyes off the TV, refocus, plus the gamepad itself, like, screen was not that good. So, like, I'm looking at this kind of okay-looking, yucky, washed-out, blurry screen, and I gotta readjust my eyes to the HD big screen in front of me. Um, kind of sucked. But... Uh, you got used to it. That's just the way games were on Wii U. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would have been fine with that in, in in this game. But the inventory system they ended up landing on, like the the quick swapping of of weapons, that's even faster than me using the touchscreen. Yeah, because I got to take my eyes off this TV, look down, locate the item I want, and tap it, or I could just hold the button, quick swap, and I'm done. Um, so I, you know, and there's <clears> nothing <throat> saying they couldn't have had both systems in the game, um, and maybe they did. I I, I doubt it. I, I think they had all the management on the touchscreen, but anyways uh it's one of those things that i guess i wasn't really that interested in the gamepad feature features like holding the gamepad up to, to telescope through and mark points on the map like that's cool it's not really better than it's, the it's alternative gimmicky. it's trying to prove the Wii yeah it's trying gamepad. to trying to prove the gamepad it's trying to prove the value of the gamepad uh without really doing anything with it that isn't just as good with a controller um, even if you want to talk gyro controls, that's fine. There's gyro sensors in like the Switch Pro controller and the Joy-Cons. So you could still have the motion if you want the motion. Mm-hmm. Um, the gamepad isn't really... like The screen on the gamepad, to me, just the way that they were using it that we're aware of and that they hint at isn't anything I feel like I really needed. Um, even as the map and inventory is convenient, like they use in Twilight Princess HD and the Wind Waker HD, um, it's not something that is such this big annoyance. Like the whole whole idea of it is, you don't have to leave the game to manage your inventory, right? Uh-huh. You don't have to go to a pause menu. Well, if I'm taking my eyes off the TV to do it anyways, what's the difference of having a menu on the TV? Uh, either way, I'm not looking at the game. You know, and, and that was always like my argument for why I thought the inventory management systems were better on the gamepad, but that's because of how clunky they were in The Wind Waker and Twilight Princess. Yeah, <laughs> it wasn't because. You know, the gamepad just offered a convenient way to do it better. That doesn't mean they could have did it better in, in those games. Uh, and what they're doing in Breath of the Wild to me is loads better. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 I'm not sad to miss the Wii U gamepad features. Uh, a lot of people were hoping they could play Breath of the Wild on Wii U with the Pro Controller anyways. Um, I mean, I think the, the only thing that I would have liked would have been a map um, on yeah, there. The map, the map's nice. Yeah. <clears throat> um, Again, I don't know why that. To, I guess personally, that doesn't matter to me as long as there's a one button access to the map on the. Yeah. And it seems like I think one of the D pad directional arrows has a one, is a one button access Probably. to it. I mean, from what like I've seen, that, I think it's like smart. the up arrow, or I can't remember. <clears throat> so as long as I have a one button access, I don't. Who cares? I guess to me. Yeah. If I if I have to take my eyes off the screen to do something that I can easily do on the screen anyways, then well, I don't I don't know why menus are a problem. I guess. 
That's for just me. me. I, there's plenty of people that think like, oh my god, the game's gonna be worse, and that's I guess fine. I mean, the only thing for me, um, for the the only reason that I liked it better on the Wii U was still we, the Wii U had a lot of processing um, problems. So, for example, uh, when I was playing Dark Siders Two on the Wii U, um, switching from the game to the menu in the game took longer than it did for me to look down onto the Wii U gamepad, yeah. switch over to the map, and find where I was. Um, so it was some of that's the like double that. processing going on. Yeah, too. no, I, I'm aware. It's just yeah. that stuff like that was a little bit more handy. Obviously, mm-hmm. the Switch is more powerful than the Wii U by like miles. So mm-hmm. I don't think we're necessarily going to have like a five second delay between opening. Plus, this is a Wii U game ported. Yeah. So and I they don't... already and they openly admit we are not even close to understanding all the power and capabilities. So it's like okay, well they're not even using everything the system yeah. can do. So it's Which, so it hey, people who are mad about the 900p, it's a Wii U game at 900p. The Switch is weak. They didn't even go through to see what the Switch can do. They didn't push it. So, <laughs> like he just openly admitted we didn't push the hardware. So don't use Breath of the mm-hmm. Wild as a barometer for the max of what the system can. I think the the barometer for what this system is going to be is going to be Super Mario. Um, and I don't even honestly. think that's a barometer. Super Mario is a highly stylized game. Yeah, but we'll see um, in terms of what that looks like. But there's one last interview uh, done by Game Cult. What, you mean one more interview? Yeah, <laughs> one one more interview um, that we'll talk about. Uh, oh, boy. This one is also a summary on it. It talks a little bit more about the development of, of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, notice all of these are with, uh, I think French companies. So yep. come on, Aonuma, come to the States. Talk to us. Um, I know. We just asked really stupid questions. <laughs> did you read some of the English interviews? There was like the same amount of English interviews and they were just really stupid questions that we already have answers to. I... <laughs> come on, United States companies. Like, there we go. Heck, do pull... You pull your own fan bases and see what questions they want you to ask because you're not good at coming up with questions. So, oh my gosh. The interview said, um, or Anuma said in the interview, that you can get lost in the original Zelda game and for the, the Nintendo Entertainment System, and Breath of the Wild is somewhat like that. It says, you can get lost by not knowing where to go or visiting places out of curiosity. That curiosity is what sparked the idea of exploring or climbing in Breath of the Wild. Though Anuma doesn't doesn't want to make things too complex, but he believes that the different systems in the game, like equipment, will be easier to understand when playing. Um, the physics engine took so much time since changing just one aspect can affect everything else since the engine handles different aspects of the game world. Companies outside of Nintendo, Nintendo also helped out with playtesting. Nintendo staffers working on different projects also tried out the game, and a PC tool was created for playtesting which tracks the paths players take like Nate mentioned earlier. Aonuma likes the idea of a multiplayer mode slash feature where players communicate with each other when visiting a certain place. Um, I imagine something like Dark Souls where you leave messages. Um, I don't know that that's going to be in the game, but that's what I imagine. Yeah, he laughed in the interview and said, oh, I'll take that idea back to the team. Yeah. Game's done, so it's not in there, but... It said Monolith Soft actually helped with Skyward Sword with the design, graphics, and artistic elements, Um, but Nintendo and Monolith have different approaches to games obviously Um, on breath of the wild the team was helped by level designers on topographic amenities from monolith soft Um, twilight princess was more difficult to manage than breath of the wild for two platforms since he had less experience at the time for this game is also able to better prepare to ensure that the experience would be the same on the switch and the wii u 
Now, when Aonuma starts thinking about new ideas, he thinks they could work in Zelda and always comes back to the series, and this prevents him from working on other titles other than Zelda. Um, he implemented cooking as a logical choice since you pick up ingredients in the world, and the team thought it'd be interesting to mix uh, for effects. Exploring by climbing everywhere, living in harmony with the world around us, and protecting something or someone to accomplish a mission make up the essence of Breath of the Wild. And that is the end of that. Mm-hmm. So, like you said, um, the cooking aspect and the, the weapon aspect wasn't made because they liked the idea in other games. It just was it was natural to them. Yeah, um, they, basically they were going to have elements in the world that you could pick up and eat. Like, it was just going to be part of the game. Mm-hmm. Like apples, as an example. Yeah. Um, like they mentioned in 2014, well, there used to be apples on this tree. Oh, yeah, you could pick them and eat them. Um, and it sounds like, you know, like that's not new in Zelda. There's been items like that in Zelda. So it sounded like, okay, well, we're going to have a whole bunch of these in that world. Why don't we make it so players can mix them? Mm-hmm. And thus, Cookie was born. Yeah. And it sounds like, again, they're talking about Monolith Soft and they're talking about how they've helped with other games and how this one was. Um, he was more seasoned when coming to Breath of the Wild. Mm-hmm. So, not that this was an easy game to make by any means, but he felt like he was more prepared for this. Um, and that the Switch and the Wii U gameplay uh, in the, both versions felt the same. Um, so that you didn't feel cheated when you're playing mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. Like most people say that the GameCube version of Twilight Princess is the definitive edition of the game. Um and I mean, you could say that that's Twilight Princess HD now, um, <laughs> but he wanted to make sure that they're the same, it's essentially the same game. There's definitely going to be some graphical updates, um, and it's going to run better on the Switch just because it's a more powerful beast. Basically, um, the Switch will be the definitive version. Yeah, <laughs> but it's not going to be like a noticeable difference, yeah. like it was. Like you won't back then. It was on a mirrored world. Yeah, it's not completely different control mm-hmm. schemes. Unless you're playing them on two TVs at the same time, you probably won't. It's not know. one in a four-three aspect and one in a sixteen-nine aspect. Yeah, uh, one with pointer, shooty shooty controls, one without. Uh, so that's pretty much all that one talks about. I don't really have much to say about that other than what we talked about because we addressed a bunch of the stuff. Yeah, outside well, of the mostly interview. important stuff I brought up because <laughs> this is the interview I enjoyed the most because we got the most interesting stuff out of it in my yeah. opinion. Um, you know, the, it's just the, uh, what's interesting is that, um, and this was brought up in another interview and clarified further in this one is that it feels like what made this game take so long, um, because we've heard multiple excuses about why Breath of the Wild was delayed, you know, EJ almost screwed up feedback. He openly admitted to that. He, he made the, he didn't tell them what was good about something he only told them what was bad and so they changed too much stuff mm-hmm. so they had to kind of retcon those changes well we kind of get more detail on that in this and it's not included in the summary but if you read the interview um he goes on to talk about even more details on the physics engine and that they had to what what made this game take so long compared to other zelda games which is interesting that he says compared to other games because skyward sword took almost just as long to make mm-hmm. so i don't know why he thinks this is an abnormal length of time. But uh, is it's that because of those changes, like you mentioned, you know, we, you mentioned the physics change. Like you make a change to one thing and it affects the rest of the game. Um, 
And he, seemed, he said a comment like last week in an English interview that he would go to an area, like Eugene Oma went to an area, and there were supposed to be some items there, but they were gone. And he had to go to the development team and be like, hey, what happened? And they're like, oh, well, the wind blew it away. And all those items were at the bottom of a mountain. Um, and it turns out, we now know why that happened. Uh, someone wanted to do something in a shrine that involved wind pushing clay pots. Uh, but the default wind system in the game, in the physics engine, wouldn't do that. So he changed one of the values to make that puzzle work in that thing. Well, late in other areas of the game, because changing that value affects the whole physics engine, um, that's what created all those pots being blown to the bottom of the mountain. And it turned out that it was a lot of stuff like this, because uh, it, this physics engine really sounds like this is why the game took so long to get to get it right. Because they, he said he had to take all the teams, because how, how this game is developed, I'm not going to talk about how all games are developed, and how this game is developed is they kind of have like little groups of people doing different things. Like you're a dungeon designer, you're an enemy designer, you're a wildlife designer, um, you are like a topography designer. Uh, so they have all these different groups groups of people that work on the same engine, and everything kind of comes together. That, that's probably how it's always been with Zelda. Well, in this case, because they have this overarching physics engine, everyone's trying to make changes to it, not considering how it affects everything else, how it, how everything's connected. So throughout the development process, he had to take all those teams, sit them down in a room, and have them play through the game together and experience all the other things they're not working on to see what they're doing and how it's affecting everything um, and get the teams communicating more. And this is why the game took so long and why he says openly uh, once he realized that the teams needed to communicate and be in the same room and play the game together, uh, so they can make the physics engine work perfectly as we assume it does. Um, that's when he realized, man, I need to go to management and ask them for more time. Mm-hmm. And boom, bang, boom, that's the delay. Like It sounds like there was really only one delay because that second delay from 2016, that literally sounds like they just that's because they decided to put it on a Switch. It's not development reasons. Um, so the actual development reason that this game didn't land in 2015 is because, hey, the teams needed to communicate better about this physics engine. Um, and so they had to change how they developed things. And I think that's a really interesting uh, approach because I, I'm, I'm not a game developer. I have worked on little games, little <laughs> indie games, but that's a totally different environment than AAA publishing, the AAA game making. Um, so I am interested to know, like, is this how games are made? Like everyone just groups off and then they make stuff and it just gets slapped together. I feel like that's a Nintendo thing. I feel like it is too. And like like he explained in the past like how they made games, like it was just little paths connecting each environment and each section of the game. And I feel like each one of those sections was made by a little team and that's just how they connected them. Yeah, like uh <laughs> how like they were like, Okay, well you have the forest temple and then that's connected. Yeah, you afterwards. work on you work on the Lost Woods and the Forest Temple. That's yeah, your team. Then, then you go to the water temple and then yeah. further on. Yeah, there. you make Kakariko Village, and so the people you guys make Lala Ranch, and we'll just connect them with paths, and it'll just work. Yeah. Um, and I'm the developer. <clears throat> I'm the the director. I'll worry about the story that connects it all. Yeah. Um, it, like I I don't know. I hope that's not how all AAA gaming is done. Uh, it, it can't be not with an open world game at least. Uh, and I think that was the what happened with it was they realized that probably a year or so, or maybe two years into development, they're like, crap. We can't make this game like we've been making games. It doesn't work. Uh, we we need to rethink how we do it. Um, 
And that really, that starts at the top. The director who came over from Capcom, I forgot his name. We finally have the director of Breath of the Wild officially confirmed now uh, who it is. Um, he's the guy who directed the Capcom games. And uh, he also directed Skyward Sword. Mm-hmm. And now I can't remember his name. And I feel bad that I don't remember his name now because he's like a pretty big name for Zelda now. Uh, I'll look it up while you're talking. But, uh, yeah, so it, like that, those decisions have to come from E.J. Nomo and the director. Um, so part of me is kind of glad, just like I'm glad that E.J. Nomo is looking towards Western games. Um, which is funny that like The Last Guardian gets thrown in there. The Last Guardian is actually not a Western game, <laughs> but it plays like a Western game. Um, <laughs> but it, uh, okay. it's interesting that it took... Hidemaru yeah. Fujibayashi. Okay, Fujiyashi. Okay. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It, it, it's just really interesting to me because uh, what these interviews did collectively is something that I wish you know, the English interviews would do more of. And that is, they didn't focus on asking things they clearly weren't going to get answers to. Like, tell me what the timeline is. Or, because like every English interview asked him, where does this go in the timeline? He's, he's obviously not going to tell you. If he wanted you to know, he would have already said it. Yeah. Um, so, like, after a game is released, you can ask him. Then he'll give you an answer. But, uh, so, sometimes, I mean, the thing is, he has given answers in the past, but that was always <clears> part of, he always <throat> planned to give an answer. Like, this is 100 years after this. Well, he doesn't want people to know yet. Uh, but they would always ask him questions, you know, that weren't very interesting. They were always about trying to get spoilers. Um, and these questions in France at this event in Paris, they're development-focused. Mm-hmm. Stuff he can talk about. Um, so I think what what I find most interesting out of all of this, beyond all the insights we've now learned in how this game was made, which I think is amazing, is just the stark contrast in how French media and United States media deal with the same person on the same game. I mean, and I wonder if that represents like the differences between not just the media, but like the differences between the audiences for the games. Um, we're like in the United States, we care about, Hey, why the heck is in this thing? Twilight princess, HD, Wii U tech demo graphics. That's all we care about. Instead yeah, of, I'd instead of asking like the, why, like the why behind the, the art decision, like the art decision <clears throat> is because they wanted to make this easier. And because this is a company in Japan that has Japanese animators. They don't have Western animators. Well, so, think like, about um, it. Like kind of in, in the aspect of how, we have different cultures and we have different values. Mm-hmm. It, it's almost like we have different video game values. Like there's mm-hmm. different things that we look for in a video game in, in American culture overall. Like maybe not us, you and me, um, mm-hmm. because we favor more Japanese games, i.e. Nintendo, i.e. Zelda. Um, but when the overall audience of America looks at games, um, I could name like my roommates, like a few of them, um, they look at games for uh, graphics. If it doesn't look like the best game that's come out in the world, then it's probably not going to be worth their time. Um, it has to be pretty simple. Um, like challenging isn't exactly the the best thing. Um, so like heavy puzzle games, uh, really complex games. Um, and so some of that might be negative, but then there's also things like story. Um, we're really, we really like story in games and we really mm-hmm. like to hear about the story in games. Um, and that's something we never really got from Zelda before. Hence it, everything Naughty Dog makes. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so that there's, there's different, we look for different things 
and have different values in general as people. But we also have different values in what we look for in a game or a movie, which is why, you know, Japanese video games are so different from American video games. And Japanese film and French film, it's all very, very different than what we have here. Um, just because of our values, just because of what we, we like in entertainment. And I guess, like you said, that's, that's reflective of our media, too. Because our media asks certain questions based on their viewership, but also based on what's what what they know the audience wants to hear and what they want to hear as as interviewers um and and how they want to approach certain questions because they want to ask certain questions based on what's like what we want to know what we value um i'm probably repeating myself there but that's 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 what i'm imagining is the difference there because like you said, they're asking questions that are more about development and how they came to these decisions as opposed to, well, why doesn't this game run in 1080p or something like that? Like, that's not their, their main focus with these questions. Um, and it's just interesting. Like, it, that's that's a human study that I'd love to go into. Um, mm-hmm. But we've got some pretty good fan questions. Oh, boy. And, uh, I want to get to some of these. And then I kind of want to... There's a topic I want to talk about. It's not really like... There's no... I haven't planned a game or anything afterwards. It's just a topic that I want to talk about. Um, and I want to see where we can go with that. So, first fan question, then, is from Cedric Patrick Jackman on Facebook. <laughs> These are all from Facebook. Personal experience talking <clears throat> to this guy. Um, he says, I know how this will sound coming from me, but I'm not the only one who feels this way. Could you please, please, please talk about the changes, I assume, in Breath of the Wild? Yep. I understand that you guys enjoy them. Because you try and discuss them from a neutral point of view and at least pretend you understand the opinion of us who don't like the changes. So, um, I actually know what he's talking about, which is surprising. Because I remember reading the day after that Breath of the Wild was announced, a bunch of news articles talking about how this is the most Western-looking Zelda game. How a lot of people are upset that it's it's so Western-focused. <clears throat> and it's so different than... Um, other Zelda games in terms of gameplay, story, how it, uh, like the open world aspect of it, um, the towns, the uh, everything about the game is, is has ex- been expanded and, and been made different. Um, and I know a lot of people aren't happy with that because they want their Western games to be Western games and their Japanese games to be Japanese games, and they don't want them to to mix and intermingle, especially a game as big as as, as uh, Legend of Zelda. Um, and so I can under kind of understand that. Uh, because we don't like change as human beings, um, especially when it's something we really, really like or something we're really, really passionate about. Um, we don't want to see it get altered in any way. Um, it's like if you're watching your favorite show, let's let's talk, let's make up a show. Um, let's call it Arrow. And let's pretend <laughs> that the first season's really, really good. And then the second season's pretty good, but then they're like, you know what, let's let's make this completely different, and let's change the dynamic of the show, and all of a sudden, it's it's like you don't like it anymore, because it's bad. But some people do like it, and th- that's the thing, is that there's different tastes for different people, and you can't please everyone, but I think at this point, Nintendo saw where the trend was going with The Legend of Zelda and with games in general. Um, and if they wanted to stay relevant and they wanted the Legend of Zelda to stay relevant, then they would have to go on, on this quest for change. Um, and I can understand, like, I, 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 it's hard for us to understand from a neutral point of view why you guys 
don't like these changes because for us we're like oh these are great changes like these are what we've wanted in zelda games for such a long time like voice acting um a story driven game open world um non-linear dungeons all that stuff like this is stuff we've wanted for a very long time but there are some people that look at um ocarina of time and, and are like every game needs to play like this like a linear story with with uh like specific items for specific dungeons specifically themed dungeons and you just need to go through the story like like a just like a like a movie um and so a little laptop yeah and, and it's <clears throat> it's hard again it's hard for us to understand that because like like i said nate and i like these changes for the most part i assume nate does um i don't want to speak for him but i i i want to see where your guys are coming from um and i understand your side i just can't feel the same way you do um, and maybe Nate's different. Maybe I'm wrong and Nate hates the way the game looks, but. Okay. <laughs> um, the thing is, I'm trying to be neutral about this because this Cedric Patrick Jackman, um, first off, if you're listening to the podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Um, I've actually been conversing with him back and forth on Facebook like all day, the day that we recorded this because, uh, he's been, very vocal about um, all these changes, not liking them. And the changes that he's talking about, um, like he's not even necessarily against the open world, um, but against a lot of the other fine-tuning changes, like breakable equipment. Um, uh, that's just one example. What else did he say? Uh, things like the fact that when you cut grass, you don't get rupees. Um a lot of stuff that has basically been a staple in every single Zelda game for 30 years, uh, that it, it's just gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and how jarring that is and how much he dislikes these changes. You know, the green tunic, that's another, that's a very popular one that people have been very vocal yep. about. Um, and part of me is different because I got to play it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I come from the perspective of I didn't know what to expect until I played it. Uh, while you guys were watching that live at E3, Nintendo Treehouse, getting all this insight, I didn't get to watch any of that. I was on the show floor trying to get my hands on the game. Uh, so I went into the game not really knowing anything but what the first two trailers for the game showed, which wasn't a whole lot. Um, revealed the name and it showed me an open world. It was basically all it told me. Um, so I went into the game not knowing how the item, how breakable weapons worked, and how all the stuff would fit together. Um, and E.J. Anuma kind of said this in an interview that we talked about today that the breakable weapon aspect has to do with world progression and player progression, and it's something you will understand as you play the game. So I, I think, like on the surface, I see why people do not want breakable weapons. And that they think it cheapens the experience. And it doesn't feel like Zelda. And all I can say is, as a Zelda veteran who's been playing this series since I was five, I'm 30, I'm as old as the series is, um, that I was with you until I experienced it myself. And I get it. This game would not work without that that breakable weapon system. It just it would not be what it is. Um, and it's something that can't be conveyed to you uh, because it's something you have to experience. You you can't just watch some gameplay clips because you're just going to get frustrated. Oh, he was using that sword and it broke. Dang it. Well, that's stupid. What a waste of time that I have to go gather more items. It doesn't make sense to you until you have that game in your hand 
And then you realize, oh, if I had an, a non-breakable weapon, think about how easy this game would be all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing is, is like that's not necessarily a bad thing. Zelda has been easy. Uh, let's not kid ourselves. Zelda is a relatively easy action adventure game series. It's, it's kind of been that been easy probably since maybe Majora's Mask. I'd argue even earlier than that. Um, so. I mean, I'd say Ocarina of Time was actually pretty easy. Ocarina of Time was very easy. I thought A Link to the Past was pretty easy. Um, I, honestly, I don't think anything's really been that hard since Zelda 2. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the first two Zelda games were very difficult games. <clears throat> and then the series got dramatically easier after that. Um, and has just kind of progressively gotten easier. Uh, even up until Skyward Sword. Where, yeah, even if you don't want to do the controls the right way, you can waggle your way through the game without knowing what you're doing. It's still beat it. Believe it or not, it might be frustrating, but you can beat Girahim in those one-on-one sword fights by just waggling your remote. Um, it doesn't mean you won't fail a bunch, but you'll eventually beat him. Um, and I've witnessed people doing it, so it's like, oh man, well, that's not how you're supposed to play, but whatever, it works. Um, and it works because, yeah, because Skyward Sword was, it was such a new idea with the motion controls, the combat really wasn't that hard. Um, you know, it's all puzzle-based, basically. Mm-hmm. So it really wasn't that difficult. Everything's telegraphed, and it's easy to figure out. Um, but it was so easy that you didn't even have to do it right, and you could still get it. Um, and that's kind of the way the series has gone. And the way that the progression model works in this game, just it, it's something you need to play to make sense. Like, as an example, uh, in the past, grass has always been something that you get rupees, you get bombs, you get extra arrows, you get a magic meter <clears> filled. Um that's just what it's been. But the reasoning that it worked in previous games is because everything was in patches. It was a patch of bushes. It was a patch of grass. Most grass in Zelda games up to this point is, have been a flat texture that you could not interact with. Uh, we've never had a world that had realistic grass. And now we have a world, an open world, that... Grass is literal individual blades of grass. And it's everywhere. And if you would get rupees and bombs, or, well, bombs they, they put through an item use now, but, yeah. um, you know, say arrows for, for your bow and arrow, even just like the ba- the basic of basic sets of arrows, so you can get that from grass. The game would be too easy. Like, way, way too easy. Uh, money wouldn't matter anymore. There's grass everywhere. Just Inflation. burn it all down and collect thousands of rupees in two seconds. Inflation in the Zelda game. Yeah. Well, and, and that's the thing. Like, like rupees are harder to come by because of this. They are. They, they drop off enemies. We've seen proof of that. Um, so we know that that's one way to gather rupees. I'm sure there's side quests in many games and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it's one of those things where they didn't change this because they wanted to change a fundamental of Zelda, like the grass thing. They changed it because in the way the world is built with all this grass, it negatively impacts the gameplay to keep it in there. It cheapens it, yeah. Yes, and it's something that until you play, until you go hands-on, it doesn't make sense. Um, and obviously at E3, it was weird because like there was like rupees were not dropping off enemies at E3. Uh, there was You could find rupees in the demo, but they were like ones that were hidden. Um, they weren't like, you know, 
you know, whatever. And like even in the past, like an Ocarina of Time, you could run through some some of the tall grass and there would just be rupees in the grass. Mm-hmm. Um, and there isn't to say that that doesn't exist in the world. Maybe there are patches of long grass where there are rupees hidden in it. We don't know for sure. We have not seen every blade of grass in this game <laughs> to know that. Um, but the you know the general gist of it is everything that they have done in this world, whether it's the item, uh, the, the breakable items, or the the change to the grass, or the fact that there's not this default green tunic he wears all the time, and that these tunics have different effects, like different effects on heat and different effects on durability, or like how hard of a hit you can take, like with stats or whatever. Um, all of it is built around the core gameplay, uh, the core progression in the world. And it's a progression that we haven't really had in a long time in Zelda. And it's a progression that uh, makes sense because we've hit this point now where technology has advanced to a point where you are not releasing a Zelda game that all the grass is flat textures. Mm-hmm. You, you just can't do that. Um, like like I said, they realize they have to either step it up or, or they they can't. Yeah, you can't do the... Skyward Sword again. Yeah. You can't be flat textures everywhere. <clears throat> like that doesn't work. That's not appealing. As um, much as Nintendo doesn't want to compete, this is a competitive game market now, and so they yeah. they have to at some in some way show that their game can hold its own against these Western RPGs. Yeah, or like, like the, the changes the horses. You know. Yeah. I understand. You've always had Epona. That's great, but now you're in a world with a bunch of wildlife. A single horse existing in that world doesn't make sense. <laughs> like, it just doesn't make sense. And so if you're going to have other other wild horses, then why not give the player the option to tame them? Like, you don't have that option in prior Zelda games because this wasn't possible in prior Zelda games. As, as E.G. Noble put it, like for the Wind Waker, he wanted more islands, but the technology wouldn't let him do it. We haven't had the technology to do stuff that we're doing in Breath of the Wild before. Um... So now they do, and now they're doing it. And all I ask for anyone who's scared of these changes is wait and play the game for a good, I'd say a good three or four hours, and then come back and tell people what you think of these changes. Because um, I think, like the Wind Waker, which is probably the last time we really had a really radical change, mm-hmm. uh, change in art direction, change in you're not exploring like land, you're exploring a sea on a boat. Um you have a sister, which you've never really had a family besides an uncle before, and a grandma. Um, explored these new ideas, and it was instantly hated on, except for the people who played the game. Yep. And they ended up loving it and realizing this isn't a game for kids. <laughs> but you only got that if you played it. Um, it's a very serious game, actually. <laughs> and Breath of the Wild, and similarly, where they made the, all these changes to the core... Uh, a lot of the core fundamentals like the green tunic and the rupees in the grass and all this stuff, but you have to play it to get it. Otherwise, on the surface, it just looks like, yeah, okay, this is a Skyrim light. Um, or this is, you know, a game like Skyrim or a game like The Witcher. And the thing is, is like, it's not. But you have to play it to find out. Um, and and I, maybe that's why I've gotten so many arguments with people who think it's like Skyrim. It's because I played the hell out of Skyrim. Played the hell out of The Witcher 3 and The Witcher 2 and The Witcher 1. Um, I played the heck out of Grand Theft Auto games. Um, I played the heck out of all these games that are being compared to it, and this game feels nothing like those games. But on the surface, you're just like, oh, you can cook, and you have inventory, and your items break, and there's crafting, and there's this and that. And like, okay, you can make a checklist, but just play the game. It is yeah. not the same thing. Uh, so 
I want to be neutral, but I lost my ability to be neutral after I played the game. Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to lose that uh, this weekend when I go play it at PAX. Yeah, and and that's, like I, I agree, like it's 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 difficult to make a judgment on a game you haven't played before. Um, I mean, if like literally every review was coming out and saying, "Well, this game's crap," then you might have some some form of like like ability to say, "Okay, oh, well, this game's probably going to be bad." But you know, everybody's praising this game so far, and if if it's so widely, and it's not just. Like it's not just uh, sorry to interrupt. It's okay. But it, it's not just that when you say everyone is praising the game, it's literally everyone across every culture: mm-hmm. Japan people, French, Australia, UK, Germany, United States, Canada, South America. Like everywhere this game has been, there isn't any culture and any uh, media outlet or fans going going hands on with it that have disliked this game. Um. So it that to me that kind of goes into a, a larger point that in doing all these changes to the game they actually made it even more appealing across cultural bar- barriers where in the past Zelda has really struggled outside of the United States since Ocarina of Time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's basically been U.S. people buy the hell out of this, everyone else just kind of eh. <laughs> um. And this game seems to be tearing down those walls. And now you have to consider why. You know, is it because they're going more mainstream? Well, Western RPGs aren't popular outside of the United States and parts of Europe. So if they're not popular here, but people in Japan are praising the heck out of this game in comparison to those games, then clearly something's something's different. And that's all I could tell you is play it. And I'm really glad to hear that Alfred's going to get a chance this weekend. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming that PAX... Yeah. Um, so we, Sorry. it's okay. Go on. Uh, another comment, another question from Chris Forbes. Always comments, always gives great questions. Um, <clears throat> says a lot of people weren't able to get the Zelda Masters Edition because of online pre-order selling out in minutes. Some of us got lucky and through a fluke pre-ordered through GameStop's brick-and-mortar stores. While originally Masters Edition was an online exclusive when purchasing through GameStop, their corporate offices have promised to fulfill these in-store pre-orders. That being said, do you believe Nintendo should create more stock in advance to give fans more opportunity to collect these treasures, or should they keep them extremely limited to increase their sentimental and retail value? And I've been debating this question with myself since I couldn't get one of these for myself. Um, because on one hand, you'd think that Nintendo... Uh, the Master's Edition was about 150 bucks, roughly. Um... And you'd think Nintendo would want to be like, oh, well, everybody's going to want this, so let's mass-produce the crap out of this thing so we can rake in the money. Uh, you know, $150 per game, per package um, would be great. Uh, but at the same time, it's kind of like... this is It's almost nothing alike, but it's, it's kind of the same idea of, of getting trading cards. Um, if every... Like, when you're, when you're buying Pokemon cards, put it this way... It's, uh, the, uh, the fact that you can get one of those starter decks with, like, a Charizard EX card in it or whatever, um, cheapens that card because it doesn't make it worth as much. It's like, okay, well, everybody can buy this right off the bat. It's not rare. Um, there's probably, like, millions of these in existence. Um, but the fact that if you buy a regular booster pack and you get a super rare card, it's like, okay, this is worth something because, A, there's probably not a lot of them. 
um, and B, this was harder to get. Um, and so intrinsically it has more value to it. And that's what I feel like any special edition, any collector's edition has, if it's a limited edition, is that it has this intrinsic value that, okay, this is rare. Um, and it may be expensive and Nintendo probably could make lots of money mass producing this. But at the same time, it wouldn't be a special edition. It would just be a, a collector's edition. And they made it pretty clear that the master's edition is a special edition and then some. And again, I don't really like it, but I can understand it. Like, I really wanted to get the Master's Edition. I probably shouldn't have anyways because of money. But, <laughs> like, I understand what they're doing. And I mm -hmm. and I can understand, like like you said, um, keep them extremely limited to increase the sentimentality and retail value. Um, <clears throat> you don't want to inflate the market with limited editions because then they're not limited editions anymore. Um, then they're, they're just regular old collector's editions, just like a bonus version of the game. Um, like, having something like... Uh, I don't know if it's sold out. I haven't done any research into this, but I got the Dishonored 2 Special Edition, uh, limited edition. So I've got like Corvo's mask. I've got Emily's ring, and that's it's really cool to have. Um, and I don't know many people that have it, and so that adds kind of a value to it, knowing that this is a rare thing, knowing that this is a limited edition, a collector's edition that very not few people have, but not a lot of people have. I mean, that's what makes it more appealing too. Of course, there's always going to be scalpers. There's always going to be people buying, like, 30 of these copies everywhere they can find them and then just selling them for, like, 3,000 times the price on eBay. Um, but that's that's just the world we live in. That's capitalism for you. And there's really nothing you can do about it. <clears throat> I don't know. What do you think, Nate? Um, thing is, anyone who wants the things in that Masters of Special Edition, you can import because outside of like the United States where capitalism is like this big deal and, and scalpers kind of grab all the stuff and try to resell it for hundreds if not thousands of dollars more, more than it's worth. Um, it's not that hard to import. Like you say, like I had the special edition pre-order. Um, it really wasn't that hard for me to get it. I, I, I think people that couldn't get the special edition um in my, in, in just, and this is just in my opinion because I happen to have enough local retail stores. Uh, if you have local retail stores that were selling it, uh, I, I kind of view it as if you don't have it pre-ordered and you wanted that special edition, uh, it's kind of your fault. Well, yeah, you, you, when it I, wasn't that hard to get a hold of on Friday, the special edition. When I got to GameStop, they still had copies of it. I just didn't get there early enough. If I really wanted it, if I really wanted a special edition, I could have shown up before it opened and waited in line and gotten. Yeah, and the thing is, like, like the lines aren't like five hundred people long. You know? <laughs> like, it, it this isn't like a launch day of something. Like, this was not hard to get because a lot of people did order online. Mm -hmm. But like the special edition specifically, there were stocks set aside for in-store retail that you could have went to the morning on Friday and pre-ordered. And I know that there's. There's always, you know, you have a job. You couldn't get, like, my games have opened at 10, so I got mm -hmm. it at 10. My job is Zelda Informer, so it's not hard for me to get off of work to go <laughs> get in line. Um, and for a lot of people, you can't do that. You have class. You know, you have things going on. And that does suck. It does suck. There's always circumstances like that. And this kind of gets back into, you know, in, in, in consideration of those people, in consideration of the people that didn't stay up till midnight or 1 a.m., whenever the, the pre-orders went live online, to get a pre-order in. Now, how is it fair to them? Um, and it's not. And life isn't fair. <laughs> and I feel like a total douchebag for saying that because I do have the special edition ordered. 
And the thing is, I'm with people on that. I didn't want the special edition. I wanted the master edition. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have an opportunity to get it because it's basically online exclusive. Very few stores sold master edition in store. Yeah. Uh, including GameStop, most GameStops were not accepting Master Edition pre-orders. Well, like you said, it was it was an online thing, and pretty much they sold out immediately. And yeah, if you got and one like, in you know, store. Like GameStop was... like canceling some of the special orders. They only canceled the online ones. Mm-hmm. They did not cancel in as you just went over. They did not cancel any in-store orders. So actually, ordering in-store almost guaranteed you the product better than going online. Yeah. Uh, in, in that in that case with that retailer, it, this is just a thing I'm always torn on. Because there's two collector's bundles, basically, for this thing, the Master's Edition and the Special Edition. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Reggie fils said the Master Edition is extremely limited. And it was really funny when he said it's extremely limited to go out to stores and get your pre-order in. It was already sold out before that stream even happened. So before he even said it's extremely limited, you couldn't get it anymore. So, like, <laughs> it, I, there was almost no point to even talk about getting it anymore. Um, so it, that, that, to me, was a little strange. Um... Like, just from a marketing perspective, like, why are you showing off this thing and telling people to go pre-order it when they can't? Mm-hmm. Uh, that was just really weird. Bad timing on Nintendo's part. Uh, but at that time when he said that, a lot of retail stores still <clears throat> did have the special edition available. Um, so there's two there's two minds of thoughts that they could have had their collector's value and serve people who wanted to. See, they could have made the special edition, basically, make as many copies as you sell. Yeah. And then the Master's Edition, make that the collector's one where it's the special edition, but you get that Master's Summer. And that's where the value is. Um, and I'd like to know, I, I would. I hope somebody asks Reggie someday, because this is a very specific thing. I mean, there's special editions and the Master's Editions like, all over the world, uh, but we obviously only know a lot of details behind the United States ones. Um, it would be interesting for someone to actually ask Reggie in an interview, so, like, why are there two versions? Why are they both limited? Hmm. What about What about, like... Something like the Wind Waker, like making it so people could all pre-order it. Like, they, and they've done this. Like, the Wind Waker HD, like you can get a Wind Waker, you can get like a Ganondorf statue, or like with Majora's Mask, you could get a pin if you pre-ordered a totally different game for some reason. Um, and I know that why that was done. That was to try to sell <laughs> that new game. Um, and then, which by the way, I think it's a really shady thing for you to do, Nintendo. Um, should package merchandise with a game that has nothing to do with that game. Uh, but then they also did like the uh, I have it around here somewhere the Skull Kid statue with Majora's Mask 3D, yeah, and right. that was extremely limited and hard to get a hold of. And the thing is, to get that individual statue is actually not that hard to get a hold of. There are retailers like not resellers, normal retailers online that will sell you that statue individually for like twenty bucks. Um, so like if you want that statue, you can still get it. It's not actually a limited thing, but it was limited at the time in the United States. Um, and I'm really torn on all this because. I almost feel like if they were going to limit these bundles, they should make the items available individually to purchase. Like, well, I think take that case <clears throat> that 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 uh, what is it? The Switch case it comes with, mm-hmm. right? The Sheikah Slate case or whatever. Yeah, they could sell that individually. I might be wrong, um, and this might have been a rumor. But I thought I remembered reading at some point that these were going to become my Nintendo rewards. Um, Maybe. And that still <clears> seems really... <throat> and I, I remember seeing that somewhere that they were going to be either sold separately or become my Nintendo rewards. Then again, physical rewards <clears throat> of my Nintendo would be nice. No, I, I'm aware. I, I'm not upset with that at all. I'm just saying, like, no, don't 
don't freak out if you can't get it because like typically with collector's editions i mean maybe not like this this isn't a guarantee so don't take my word for it but sometimes they'll do second printings of them or second releases of them sure um like they did with the amiibo like they they did a wave two of wave two um which is i hate it the way they handled that but um like i like you said nate i'm torn on this because on one hand i'm like oh man i want one but on the other hand it's like well but this does give it more value when it's rare yeah it's kind of like if i had one like if i had like like i had the special edition so i already feel like a special snowflake over here um (laughs) so i'm speaking as someone who has a special edition order but like if i had the master's edition i gotta admit internally it would feel cool knowing i have this thing that not many people have mm-hmm. um and that's where the value comes from it where it's like not so much a, a increase in the sales value like obviously that's a thing that happens when you limit quantities of things but that's not where the value is to me the value is that i have something that i know most of the people that are watching me unbox it or watching it in the background on a video don't have um and it's they don't have because they can't get it and not a don't have because they don't want to purchase it like in, in videos or podcasts, like in the background, I've had things like some of the the Dark Horse first four figures that you can buy at GameStop or mm-hmm. ThinkGeek. Um, anyone can go get those. No one's preventing you from having those. Um, so they're awesome that I have them, but they're not as special as, say, something I have, like my Breath of the Wild shirts from E3 mm-hmm. or my Breath of the Wild coin that also comes with the special edition. Um, but yeah. I have like a whole bunch of those coins. Like, Not everyone has those. And that's really cool that I have something that not a lot of people have. Um, and that's always something I kind of liked about being media is way back in the day <laughs> when uh, it might have been when Ocarina of Time 3D came out. When we got our media copy of it. They sent with it a ceramic Ocarina, like Ocarina with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, this is cool because like only media people have this. Like, Did they partner no one with can, a... No one can go out and buy this specific ceramic Ocarina. That wasn't a partnership with Songbird, was it? It was just something that they made on their own. No, it wasn't even. It wasn't okay. Songbird. They even provided it. No. Um, so it, it was just really cool. Um, so that's why I'm torn. Like I personally like having things that I know a lot of people don't have. Thing is, I also, you know, should it be like that stuff I talked about from GameStop and ThinkGeek, where you can have it if you do if you want it, you can just go buy it right in the store. It's not a big deal. Um, I mean, it's a big deal for me to have it, but, you know, it's not, you know, it's kind of like the difference between the Dark Horse first four figures that have basically unlimited stock and you can just go buy them and they'll just keep making them as long as people buy them compared to, say, an actual first four figure that's like hundreds and hundreds of dollars that there's limited quantities and they never run them again. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's kind of like that, to me, those are not only higher quality, they're also a lot cooler to have in your collection versus something that anyone can have. Yeah. So I'm torn between as a collector, the fun part of collecting things isn't that everybody can get it. It's that I can get some stuff that other people can't. Mm-hmm. Um, so <clears throat> you brought up the Pokemon card example. That's a perfect example. Uh, the, the first couple of generations of Pokemon cards, I had a lot of rare cards that most people didn't have. Mm-hmm. I had a, a first what is it? Uh, one of those uh, first edition foil Charizards in mint condition. Yep. Those were very rare. At the time. It was one of the rarest cards you can get. Even now today, like if I still had it, that thing is worth like I don't even know. It was something like a thousand something dollars yeah. last I checked. Well, I've got stuff like like when I when I look through my Pokemon card collection, like I've 
for anything first edition is super rare. Oh yeah, anything like, even if it's not foil. Like, yeah, like I've got like a first yeah. edition Vaporeon and, and and stuff like that. Like it feels, I mean, it sounds really selfish and it kind of is, it but is. it feels good to have something that other people don't have because you're like, wow, this is this doesn't just have like for me. I got them from a friend that that moved away, so they they're sentimental. But at the same time, they're also like there's that intrinsic value in it that's like wow, this is a rare thing that not many people have, and I can take pride in that. And I guess that's one of the th- cool things. Like that's why the amiibo were such a big hit was because people were like, Oh, well I've got dark pit and you can only get that at best buy for like three weeks. Um, or I've got, uh, this, this character, or this character, the, the golden Mario or whatever, whatever ones that are, are really <laughs> rare. Um, mm-hmm. because it's, it's like, well, this is something that not a lot of people have. And so that makes it that special, um, item that I have. Um, and, and again, like you said, that that's, it's, it's always difficult because at, at one point you want to be like, oh, well, I understand why um, it's rare and why yeah. it's limited quality. But at the same time, like, it's it's ultimately up to Nintendo what they do with it. I hope they make more for my sake um, because I don't have it and I want it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'd be yeah. okay. If I, yeah, I just don't know. This is, this, is always a, this is always a tough one for me because what we're talking about is merchandise that adds no value to anything we experience <laughs> yeah. with games. Like, it'd be different if it was hard to get a hold of the game. That yeah. is wrong. Um, like, if... I mean, it's really cool that... The, like, it would be really... Like, how about that for a story? You can't pre-order Breath of the Wild anymore. It's sold out. Yeah. That would be crazy to me. Uh, not back in the day, back in the 90s, when uh, it was a lot harder um, and a lot more costly to, to overprint games. Mm-hmm. Um especially on cartridges back in the day, like when, you know, the famous landfill with all the <laughs> ET games, like that happened because they printed way too much stuff. Um, and again, you know, you could, you could argue there's still a risk of that with Breath of the Wild being a cartridge-based game in Switch, but at the same time, they're going to make as many games as they could sell. Mm-hmm. So you're not going to have a hard time getting a hold of the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're talking about merchandise and maybe this is why I don't feel bad because that's what we're talking about. This is merchandise that adds no value to our gameplay experience. It's just a collector's thing. If the master's edition came with like extra story content that you could only get extra extra story DLC or something, that would be ridiculous. Um, But it doesn't, it comes, it comes with items that it doesn't really matter if you have them or not. You just want them because they're cool. And, don't lie, part of you probably wants it out there, or part of the people watching this want it out there because it's sold out. <laughs> um, and don't be kidding yourself. Like, you, oh, I always wanted it. I'm like, yeah, but there's some of you out there that you didn't really care, and then it got sold out, and you're like, damn, I wish I would have pre-ordered. The only thing I wanted out of that is the CD. Cause I just, oh, the CD. Well, what's nice is we live in the age of the internet, so yeah. like, literally the day the game comes out, it's going to be ripped in online somewhere. That's true. Uh, but there's, there's nothing like having that physical copy. I know. Well, I, the first thing I'm doing is literally ripping it to my computer <laughs> because uh, I'm always going to keep the disc, but I can't guarantee that disc is not going to get scratched because it'll be playing in my car all the time. Distribute that uh, copy, yo. At least to me. That copy, yo. Um, anyways. I, 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 I burn you an extra copy. Thanks. <laughs> I love you, Nate. Okay. In fact, wait. Yes, I do still have a way to burn CDs. Because <laughs> my desktop does not have a, a, any player on it, but I have an old laptop that can still burn. So... so uh, we're, we're about an hour and a half mark, so I'm not going to hit that topic today. Um, but oh. there is, there is some news that kind of came out that I just While wanted we to, to touch 
really quickly. It, it was actually a day ago, but I, I didn't see it until just now. Um, and this is only for European fans that are listening. Um, but there's a game sale going on where it's 30% off of all Zelda games on the eShop. So you've got, for the Wii U, Hyrule Warriors, Legend of Zelda, Link to the Past, Majora's Mask, Phantom Hourglass, Ocarina of Time, Skyward Sword, Spirit Tracks, The Minish Cap, Twilight Princess HD, Wind Waker HD, and Zelda 2. Keep in mind that the 30% is only for my Nintendo members. Um, and then 3DS, you have Hyrule Warriors Legends, Legend of Zelda, Link Between Worlds, Link to the Past, Link's Awakening DX, Majora's Mask 3D, Ocarina of Time 3D, Oracle of Ages, Seasons, Triforce Heroes, and Zelda 2. Um, there's no word yet on whether or not this is coming to America. This is specifically a, um, a European thing. Uh, mm. So feel free to jump on that if you want. Um, but like Nate said, and like I said earlier, I'll be going to PAX this weekend. So I will be hopefully covering and playing uh, the Switch and as much Breath of the Wild as I can if that's an option. Um, and then I'll be back to talk about my experience with that next week. I might see if I can get up a video. I'll have my small little uh, Chromebook. Yeah, if you me. can record some gameplay, that'd be sweet. Yeah. Maybe I don't have... I could put it up as a mm-hmm. Zelda Informer plays like I did from the E3. I don't have anyone going with me, but I have some people I know that are going to be there, so I might have them record for me. Um, yeah, that'd be nice. Nintendo does. Yeah, that's one thing I regret about at E3 is like now I have like this stand that I can mm-hmm. put my phone in if I need to to record footage, and I wish I would have had that mm-hmm. back during E3. I mean, I would've could make so much easier. I could bring it and set it up, but I'll, I'd rather just have somebody record for yeah, me. Yeah, obviously. Um, and so we'll we'll see what I can get, and then I'll bring back and uh, hopefully talk about. Hey, see yep. Zelda former play Breath of the Wild on Switch. Woo. Yeah, who knows? Uh, Nintendo doesn't actually have a conference there or a panel. They they specifically just have um, demos set up. So come play the Switch. Have a good day. <laughs> I'll be there all weekend. I'm going to some other panels, but I'll be there. You can all weekend. play it on a partial. You could play it on a fake airplane. That's true. Hopefully. <laughs> well, but, yeah. So depends on how long the line is to to yeah. get that airplane experience. Well. Um, I'm this lo- that's the main reason I'm going, so Massey's is going to be pretty upset if I don't actually get any footage. Nah, no, zero out. footage. <laughs> I just went for everything else. I don't um, think Massey's will be that upset. About it, nah. No, I'm not different get- if he was paying you to go. <clears throat> yeah, I'm not getting paid for this. I, I just yeah. do this for Yeah, he, w- he, he won't be upset. <clears throat> we we pretty much, had, for, in case the public knows, like most of our staff, like pretty much 99% of our staff is volunteer. Um, and they always ask, like, I, I've been asked several times, about like, hey, can I use Elder Deformer to get like a media pass for this thing? I'm like, yeah, you work here. <laughs> yep. Well, do you expect any coverage? I'm like, no. <laughs> do do what you want. Like you're paying your way to go. Like you enjoy yourself. Um, it's not like when I went to E3. Like, yeah, I went to E3 because it's my job. Yep. Um, like if you get footage, great. If you can't, oh well. I don't think. Masters isn't. Gonna care. I don't know if you saw the conversation about live streams. He, I, he doesn't really care about footage. <laughs> Uh, so, but I would like to see footage because, like, the the stuff that we got uh, from E3, people on our YouTube channel really liked it. Like, that stuff's highly viewed stuff, like 150,000 views or something. It's crazy. I'll see what I can um, get. I'll probably get some videos of other people playing too, some pictures. Yeah, try to beat Step Talus on the Switch. <laughs> I'm just excited <laughs> to play the Switch. I want to know what it feels like, what it's like, because and obviously Breath of the Wild. Yeah, that's not a. Uh, I'm surprised they're not actually doing what they do with Smash Brothers and putting it in different. Um, Different Best Buys and GameStops around the country. So yeah, I'm a little event. surprised. The only... Maybe the reason they're not doing that is because of the Joy-Cons. We're probably jacking those things. Well, I think that and the fact that it's coming out in two months. Like, if this was still, like, 
coming out in the summer, they'd be like, oh, well, we, we need to get people to play this, but, you know. Well, they're probably, oh, like, uh, we are already sold out. We don't have the extra stock to put up the yeah. stations right now. But, yeah, that's where I'll be this weekend. I'll be living it up alone in a hotel room somewhere. Uh, probably putting oh, myself to sleep. one last interesting note to bring up. Um, <clears throat> I don't know how many people care, but the Pro Controller only got approved in the United States by the FCC like four days ago. Um, which is why the Pro Controller was not available to pre-order till today. And it went up for pre-order without any warning. No emails about it. No nothing. So obviously it's completely sold out and sold out within seconds. Um, and the Pro Controller isn't like a limited edition thing. So it kind of feels like it's something that uh, kind of got mishandled by Nintendo yeah. of America. Um, in, in, in my opinion. Like even if it's not their fault it took this long <clears throat> to get approved. Like they submitted it at the same time as the Switch itself. And for some reason the FCC drag, drug their feet on it. It is Nintendo's fault for allowing this stuff to go up for pre-order without any warning whatsoever. Uh, this isn't like the Switch event on the 12th that you knew at midnight is probably going to be for pre-order. Mm-hmm. Like, you could just assume this is like the big announcement event. It's going to be up for pre-order. Uh, well, yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I don't know. I, I'm just a little flummoxed that Nintendo allowed that to happen with probably the peripheral that people who are buying the Switch are most interested in. And speaking um, of random news that came up without anybody actually knowing it, Pokemon Company released a oh, yeah. <laughs> an app called Pokemon Duel, which is kind of it's really hard to explain unless you've played it. Yeah, uh, well, yeah, good luck trying go watch to some, play it. Go watch, go watch, go watch some footage. Game Explain put up a like a twenty minute segment of them playing it. It's extremely um, broken right now. Um, yeah, it looks broke. It looks like an awesome idea. It is. Well, like, I'm talking about like. It's so buggy. Um, yeah. It it t- every ten seconds it tries to connect to the internet, it tries to load. So it's it's really hard. It freezes all the time. So they've got a lot of work to do before it's it's gameplay yeah. ready. Um, but interesting concept, interesting idea. They didn't say anything about it to anyone. Yeah. They just, it, they it just released it. Yeah. And said, "Here's a trailer." Like, like, considering so. the success of Pokemon Go. <laughs> you would you at least want to announce that you're making this game no we're just going to throw it out there and maybe this speaks to uh and granted this is the from the pokemon company and you know, nintendo doesn't necessarily get to say how they handle this stuff uh, but i wonder if this is part of like even a little talk with nintendo because nintendo talked about how with mobile games they want to try different strategies mm-hmm. um, like you know they, they try something with mitomo that is what it is it's not a game so how much you could judge from that i don't know but then <laughs> Like Super Mario Run, they did the okay. It's ten bucks for the whole game, and we're gonna let you play it for a little bit, and then like hit hit you with that paywall. And people really didn't like how the paywall was approached in the game because it was a little, little abrupt. Um, <laughs> there was no gradual. It didn't feel like you played enough of the game to be hit with a paywall, basically. Um, but so they did that with that game. Pokemon Go obviously had a totally different strategy. It's all microtransaction based free to play. Yep. Um. Yeah, Pokemon, so Pokemon Go worked like a lot of other games work. And now here's a Pokemon game. We're like, well, instead of us announcing and putting a marketing campaign behind it, let's just release this thing that might not even be fully finished yet <laughs> and just see what happens. Yep. Um, and I wonder if that's just like another like Nintendo, like, hey, just throw it out there because like we want to see all these different marketing strategies work on mobile. Yeah. Um, and this is like a zero marketing strategy. No, like we didn't um, even know this because, game was it, in because it's Pokemon, it's probably going to blow up, which is probably why they're having all these issues. Yeah. 
because it's way more popular than they probably thought it was going to be because for some reason Nintendo doesn't think anything's popular. Yeah. Pokemon doesn't think anything's for popular. servers or anything like, like that. I can understand why they didn't think Pokemon Go was going to be as big. Like who could have predicted that? You could predict it was going to be popular, but like like the best app of all time. Like <laughs> you you can't predict that. Uh, but <clears throat> so you can almost forgive some of the server hiccups with that at launch, but like this is one that's like really? Yeah. I don't know. It, it, the thing is, like, it looks really cool. I haven't tried it yet. I have it downloaded. Um, the, the, it looks really cool. The two matches I've played are actually pretty cool. So but, say, like, yeah. it, it looks like, because Game Explain actually got a nice segment where they got to play it for a little bit before it, got, it started bugging out. I'm like, this actually looks really cool. Like, this looks like stuff that I, I feel like I should have known about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's um, up for you guys to check out yeah. um, if it works for you. Sure. Uh, it's It released simultaneously on both the uh android store and the app store so it's out now um yay as you're as you're watching this listening to it yep um and yeah that's that's pretty much all we got for this week hopefully i'll have more next week to to lay some stuff on you guys um this was actually one of our heaviest zelda news featured weeks in a very long time Mm because it's been switch 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 news now it's just what happens when you blasted (laughs) yeah pokemon duel this one is literally listed by the Pokemon company. So it uh this is not like a Niantic made game <laughs> or Nintendo. Like the Pokemon company themselves are, are the ones behind it. No it not Game Freak, by the way. The Pokemon company. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, that's uh this is gonna be interesting. Alright, well, that's it for this <laughs> week. I'm trying to launch it right now and it won't even load, so <laughs> We'll we'll see you guys next week. Yeah, see you guys next week. Bye.